You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. You know, Father's Day can be an interesting day. Uh, For some, it is a day of celebration, a day of thanksgiving. For others, maybe it's a day of some mixed feelings. Uh, Maybe there is a sense of loss or a sense of a broken relationship. And I want to be sensitive to that this morning as we go to God's Word. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture that doesn't deal specifically with fathers. It deals predominantly with uh, some men and uh, some qualifications that they had is what we're going to look at today. But it has tremendous application for fathers. It also has tremendous application for men that aren't fathers and women as well because these are some universal things that God has for us. This message kind of grew in a different way. A lot of times, you know, I know that every Sunday I've got to preach and so I'm going to God's Word going, well, i got to do something this week. Um, This message came a little differently in that as I was reading, just reading through some scripture, I thought this would be an interesting thing to preach about. And I thought about it and I read about it for several months. And then back, um, I think it was in February, it was either in February or October, um, I was uh, at Baptist Bible College and Christian Saldano, who was one of our interns last summer, uh, was an RA and he said to me, he said, hey, uh, I have a meeting tonight, would you do a devotion on my floor? And I was like, sure. And then he left and then I was like, ooh, I gotta do a devotion. Um, wonder what that's gonna be about. And so I went to this passage in Exodus chapter 18 and I did a devotion to the guys on his floor And then when I began to plan out this sermon series of Sunday classics, I knew I wanted to preach this passage. And so I outlined the whole summer, and then I looked at the dates, and I was like, oh, this is Father's Day, and this would fit. And so I was like, isn't that lucky? Um, Maybe God was in that just a little bit. Exodus chapter 18 and we need, it's important to understand where we are in the Exodus story. You know, you, we've talked about Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Uh, last week we talked about how uh, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, the son of Isaac, uh, wrestled with uh, the angel as he came back to the promised land. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was named Joseph. Joseph had a coat of many colors. Maybe you've heard about it. Got sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt through God's providence and working. All of uh, Joseph's family ended up coming to Egypt. But the Bible says that then the political climate of Egypt changed and there arose a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. And the Israelites, the children of Israel, who was Jacob's new name after he wrestled with with the angel. They became enslaved. And so the children of Israel or the Jewish people became slaves. They were enslaved for uh, 300 some years and they cried out to God and the Bible says he heard them. And so he sent uh, a man uniquely prepared 
this, this man Moses whose parents hid him and he was raised in the household of Pharaoh even though he was a Jew. He knew he was a Jew. He knew he was of the people who were enslaved, but he had been educated. He had been raised in the household of Pharaoh as, as the, the child of Pharaoh's daughter. He then runs, flees Egypt after killing an Egyptian. He's on the backside of the desert and God calls him in a burning bush and tells him, you are going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to free my people. And he does. There's a series of plagues and miracles that take place, but eventually God has the Pharaoh free the Israelites. They leave. Pharaoh changes his mind. He sends his army after him. They cross on the Red Sea, but as Pharaoh's army goes into the Red Sea, it collapses and drowns them. And before, they, they don't have an army. They don't know how to fight, but God gives them a great victory. They go a little ways farther on their journey. This group of slaves, God gives them water from a rock. He feeds them some manna. He hasn't given them the Ten Commandments yet. They are not destined to wander in the wilderness. They haven't created the golden calf. None of those things have taken place yet. In Exodus chapter 18, the Bible says that Jethro comes. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking Jethro, but or maybe that's just what I'm thinking. But Jethro was, the Bible says, a priest and a leader of his, his clan. He was not a Jew, but he was Moses' father-in-law. And as Moses is leading the people out of slavery, it seems that his wife and his two sons went and stayed with with his wife's father, with Moses' father-in-law. And now Moses, or excuse me, Jethro comes to visit Moses and see how it's going and brings Moses' wife and, and two boys as well to join him. So here's Moses in the, this wilderness area with his group of former slaves, and he's the leader. Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse number 13, it says that the next day Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning until evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? Why are you trying to do all this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instructions. Again, God hasn't given the law yet. God hasn't given the Ten Commandments yet. And so Moses is the voice of God. Moses is the, the arbiter of all disputes. So if someone comes and they say, hey, you know, um, 
that black lamb was mine, and, and I had it. It was part of my little group, but now it's over here with this guy's, and, and he took it. They would go to Moses. If they wondered how to divide an inheritance, whatever question came up, Moses was the one who would answer it. This is not good, Exodus 18, 17. Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees. Give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men, who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,000, 100, 50, and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,000, 150, and 10. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took the smaller matters. They, they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Whenever I've heard this passage preached, and I've heard it preached a couple of times, often at like preacher meetings, when preachers get together and preach to each other, ooh, that's a good time. Um, yeah, it's as exciting as it sounds. Um, but it always, the application is always about delegation. That you can't do it on your own, that you need to find other men and you need to delegate, or women, and you need to delegate authority because more can be done when people work together. And that is true. But that is not the application that I want us to look at today. See, if you have the notes, the notes are very unusual today in that I always outline a passage of Scripture, whatever our text is, and usually I try to go through and bring out the points of that Scripture. But this morning, we're going to kind of go over the bulk of Scripture of this passage very quickly. The task that Moses had was great. He had to judge, by some estimations, maybe a couple of million people. And think about these folks. They had been slaves. They had been told where to live, what time to get up, what work to do, what they could eat. Their, they, their everything was controlled. Now they are free, but maybe some of them didn't have the understanding or the discipline that they needed. And so here's Moses instructing them all of the time, giving them God's word, giving them instruction, and he's arbitrating these different disputes. And so you can imagine that a fairly mundane dispute, someone might have to wait for hours just to get Moses' ruling on it. And it was an inefficient dispute 
and difficult situation. And the pressure that he was carrying was great. Jethro points out that it was going to burn Moses out, but it was going to burn the people out. Perhaps the people thought, well, I'll just settle this myself. And that would not be what God would have them to do, but maybe they thought, I've waited long enough. You ever, you ever been in a line that wasn't moving the way it was supposed to? You know what I'm talking about. And you start doing that calculus in your brain. Like, I am mad. I'm just going to leave. But then you're like, but I've already invested some time here. And you want to know, like, okay, I've been here for 45 minutes. This should have been a 30-minute deal. It looks like I've got another hour to wait. I could get mad and leave, but then I've wasted the 45 minutes. And if I come back and I have to wait another hour and 45 minutes, then I'm just more inefficient. But if I stay, maybe if I come back, it would be a 30-minute deal. And then your head just explodes. You been there? And imagine if you're standing next to a guy who you've got beef with. It wasn't going to be good. And so Jethro gives him some advice. He says to Moses, he said, listen, you're the intercessor. You're the one. He says, he says that you're the one who is God's representative. You're the one who, who goes to God and goes to the people and gives God's word to them. You're the teacher. He says in Exodus 18, 20, teach them God's decree. Give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But then he says in verse 21, but select. Find some men. Find some people that can help you in this process. And so we want to look this morning for the bulk of our time at the qualifications that Jethro laid out in a judge, in a, in a person who would lead, and why they were important then and why they're important now. He says, but select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. The first thing he says is they're capable. Now, when you think about that, you might think, well, these are just men who are natural leaders. These are people who have just natural gifts and they, they have the capacity for leadership. And there probably was some of that. And we all know people like that. Maybe you are a people like that who just people gravitate towards you. When you speak, people listen. Um, and, and they have natural leadership ability. But that's not the only thing I think that's at play here. Because what happens, what is Jethro's advice right before that? He says, you're the intercessor with God, right? You go to God, you get his precepts, you teach the people. All of these people needed to learn how to live before God. They had been slaves. They were children and grandchildren of slaves. 
They may have talked about, remember when we were free, remember when we were in the promised land, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but now that was a long time ago, and their culture, what they had been experiencing was slavery. They needed instruction. And so part of being capable was being teachable. See, you might be born with some talents, some abilities, but you've got to be able to be taught. For a lot of years, I was a coach. I coached uh, football and basketball predominantly, uh, mostly high school, but I, I enjoyed coaching sports. The interesting thing is this, that You'll get those freshmen. Uh, for several years, I was a fr the freshman football coach at this school. And so I was a youth pastor, and this was kind of my volunteer gig. You get like 80 guys coming in, and you've got to try to figure out who can play, who can't play, uh, where to put the guys who can play, where to hide the guys who can't play. Um, you know, you don't want to put them in all at once. Because uh, bad things are going to happen, but, you know, maybe you can slide them in here or there. And you knew, like, you, you would have these guys come out. 80 guys usually would come out for freshman football. 80 guys were not going to play as sophomores. So you had a group of guys that this was it for them. And then you'd have these guys that you knew they were, they just had it, you know. They had all the ability. But here's the thing about potential or ability. If you can't receive coaching, that will only carry you so far. You've also got to improve in your skills, and that requires discipline and practice. That requires being teachable. I'm 53 years old, and I realize that there is hardly any scenario except for maybe visiting a nursing home where I'm considered a young person anymore. Yeah, it's pretty frustrating, actually. And I realized that, you know, there was a time when you're young and you have potential and, and you're going to do all this. But if you don't develop that, then we call that potential wasted. And you don't want to get to be my age and go, I used to have potential. Now I just lack skills. Part of being capable is being teachable. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things. Fix your thoughts on these things, he says. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Listen, we have to be about practicing our faith. That we, sometimes we'll say that I'm a practicing Christian. And in our mind, that means I'm maybe I'm involved in a church or I'm actively pursuing my faith. But listen, 
being a Christian is being a practicing Christian because none of you are doing it perfectly. And neither am I. Right? We fail. So what do we need to do? Practice. If you're going to play basketball, one of the things that uh, we would do, you do is, is you shoot free throws, right? And you have to practice those. When I coached, when I played, every practice there would be some segment that was devoted to shooting free throws because nobody shoots 100%. The same thing's true in our life. We all fail. None of us fully exemplify Jesus Christ in all that we do. Matter of fact, for some of us, we're a long ways from that. We start talking about the fruits of the Spirit, God's, God's Holy Spirit showing himself in our life with love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. Occasionally, we might react or act in a situation that doesn't show complete love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, right? Occasionally. Every once in a great while. So we need to practice. Part of being capable is being teachable. Paul would say to Timothy, his protege, in the faith, you have heard, 2 Timothy 2.2, you have heard me teach these things that I have confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these things to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Paul said, this is the plan. The plan is that you learn and then you teach. That's why if you're, if you're here today and you're a father, before you were a father, you were a son. We learn from that perspective. Sometimes, as sons, we learn what to do. Sometimes, as sons, we learn what not to do. And then we get our own kids, and we mess them up. Which is in my case. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be in the habit of practicing, of learning, of growing. Listen, if you're here today and there is breath in your lungs, you are still, God still desires to form you more into the image of Jesus. None of us have arrived. And so we've got to be teachable. And, and, and Jethro said to Moses, find capable men. But right before that, he said, your job is to teach. And these capable men were men who were learning. They were men who were teachable. Not only that, they were honest. He says in verse number 20, or excuse me, uh, verse number 21, but select from all the people some capable, honest men. First Timothy chapter three, beginning in verse number one, it says this. This is a trustworthy saying, 
If someone desires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader, and here it's talking about a bishop or the office of a pastor, must be a man whose life is above reproach. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. He must enjoy having guests in his home. He must be able to teach. But verse 2 starts out by saying, he must live a life above reproach. Every time I read that as a pastor, I'm like, gulp. (laughs) That means that what I say I've got to do. That what I preach, I've got to practice. That my walk and my talk match. Otherwise, I am a hypocrite. I am dishonest. Let me be honest and tell you, it doesn't always match the way it should. But I'm practicing. I'm seeking to live a life that is honorable to Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's great for a preacher. Well, 1 Timothy 3 goes on. Verse 8 says, in the same way, deacons, I mean, if I'm going to say something about the preacher, I'm going to hit my deacons. Deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. You say, well, that's for leaders. Well, Romans 12 and verse 17 says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Living a life above reproach, having integrity is not just for leaders. It absolutely is for leaders, but it's for all of us. Amen? Amen? And Romans 12 is written to everyone, and he says, we've got to live lives that are honorable, that are honest that are on the level. See what I did there? That's the whole point. I was waiting. Oh, let's pray. We're done. No, I'm just kidding. That's part of why I wanted to give out a level. It's funny because I got on Amazon. That's why I ordered these levels. Just not to, you know, ruin it for you. But (laughs) you think about the technology in a level And I got on Amazon, these are not the most expensive levels. They are not the cheapest, but they're close. But they have levels that have lasers in them, the point. They have levels that fold and you can like unfold. But you know, they all basically are like this. A little tube with glass with a couple of lines and a bubble. And I remember when I was a kid, my dad would say things like, that is a half bubble off. That means it's not quite level. Interesting that that technology, pretty ancient. And it hasn't really changed. The same thing is true about honesty and integrity. We all know what it is, but it can be tough at times. Now, I've never been a witness in a courtroom, but I know the oath because I watch TV. And they swear to tell the truth, 
The whole truth and nothing but. We all, we, we all know that. We all understand that. But then we'll say things like, well, I didn't really lie. No, but you didn't tell the whole truth. Well, you know, if they thought that, that's really on them. We know what honesty is, don't we? It's interesting because in Exodus chapter 20, we're in Exodus 18. In Exodus chapter 20, God is going to give to Moses the Ten Commandments, and one of those is to not bear false witness against your neighbor. It's don't lie. But how in the world would these people, would, would Moses be able to understand what an honest man was? Because we know, don't we? We know when we don't really tell a lie, but we're not honest. He says, we need men who are honest. They are on the level. They are true. And then he says, men who fear God. If you have the notes this morning, I put five or six passages of scripture that talk about fearing God. But I want to read for you out of Job chapter 28 and verse 28. And it says, this is what he says to all humanity. The fear of the Lord is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation of wisdom. Now, some people don't like that verbiage. They say, well, God is a God of love. God shouldn't be feared. God is a God of love. But there are as many passages or more telling us that we ought to fear God. Now, that's not to cower away from him. We know that scripture tells us that God, that we, that we cry, Abba, Father, that we can come to him with our request, that he knows us, that he loves us, that he cares for us. But God is not just a giant teddy bear in the sky. He spoke these worlds into existence. With his words, he created the universe and the galaxies that we see. He is a mighty and a powerful God. He is to be respected and feared. It is a dangerous thing to be judged by Almighty God. I love my children. God has blessed my wife and I with three kids. We have a son and two daughters, and I love them with all of my heart. But it never bothered me if my parents or if my children feared disobeying me. I thought that kept them safe. I thought that kept them on the right path a little bit. Well, did, 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 you, did you want him to, to quake when you, when you, listen, my kids aren't scared of me. 
but I'd like to believe that they respect me. When we get a vision of God, we will have some fear. Isaiah did. Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, and when he saw him, he said, woe is me, I am undone. There are men and women who mock God, who have no respect for God. Even Christians who act like any judgment from God really is no big deal. Listen, if that's you, then you've never been humbled by God Almighty. But here, we needed men who would fear God. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Wisdom will multiply your days and add years to your life. If you become wise, you will be the one who benefits. If you scorn wisdom, you will be the one who suffers. Listen, we sometimes act like the Bible is just a great book of suggestions that God has for us. Instead of recognizing that God commands us to do things because he cares about us. I mean, I would say things to my kids like stay in the yard and don't go out in the street. Why? Because I hated them? No, because I loved them. We understand that with, with little kids, but then we act like God's commands are, well, but I see things a little bit differently. Yeah, well, it's not the way God sees them, and he sees better than you see. See, fear of God is obeying him even when you don't understand. Fear of God is doing what's right even when you think it's going to cost you something. And so Moses was looking for men who were capable, honest, who fear God. And then he says, who hate bribes. And as I thought about that, I thought, that seems odd, doesn't it? They hate bribes. But then I realized that that's kind of the culmination of the first three. Remember what Moses is picking. Moses is picking men who will sit in judgment over the people. Some of them will be in charge of 10 people, some 100, and some 1,000. And what is a bribe? A bribe is payment you receive to render a judgment that's favorable for somebody else. I mean, what if you were a judge and you were looking at a case and you were going to rule for this party anyway and then they offered you something, no harm, no foul, right? But Moses was looking for men who hated bribes. See, we talk about fearing God. We talk about being honest. But hating bribes is really putting that into action. See, it's easy to be honest when it's no big deal. It's easy to fear God when it's no big deal. But what if it costs you something? 
What if to do the right thing is going to, is to speak up and that's going to cause, cost you a promotion or going to cost you standing at work? Or you've benefited from something fraudulent and now to speak up is actually going to cost you something. What if it's admitting that you did something wrong? Well, then it becomes a little more difficult, doesn't it? Hating bribes is the application of being honest and God-fearing. Because anybody can say they are, but do they practice it? Will they really not take a benefit for themselves? Are you willing to do the hard things and put others over yourself? We talk about being a practicing Christian. That word Christian is interesting. We, our version of it, when I say Christian to you, you might think of a steeple or a cross or a church or a fish or whatever is part of our sort of Christian culture. But the book of Acts says that, that followers of Jesus were first called Christians in a town called Antioch, a Gentile, non-Jewish town. And it was said as a, as a point of derision, they called them little Christs. Just a little, little imitator of Christ. You're a copycat. Of Jesus. And they took that as a badge of honor. What a great thing to be ridiculed about. You act just like Christ. Okay. But Christ suffered and died for us. Christ put our needs above his own. Christ put our salvation above his comfort. And you want to be like Jesus? Sometimes hating bribes means that we're going to suffer even unjustly. Because isn't that what Jesus did? He didn't deserve to die on the cross. He's the only one who didn't deserve it. That's why he could do it for you and me. He didn't deserve to be spit upon. He didn't deserve to be ridiculed. He didn't deserve to be beaten. He was the sinless one. But it was because of that that he did it for you and me. And so if we want to be a practicing Christian or little Christ then sometimes it may mean that we suffer. And Moses was looking for men who hated bribes, who would put others above themselves. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2 says, Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. He goes on and says, 
If you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to oppress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take interest in others. Take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. We need fathers who are capable honest and God-fearing and who live that out in their lives. We need men and women who are capable and honest and God-fearing and live that out in their relationships, in, the, in, in their church life, in their, in their work, at school, in their family, in everything that they do. As a judge, it's shown by one who hates bribes, who is always, their integrity is above reproach. What does it look like for you to be capable, honest, and God-fearing? Let us take the example of what Jethro said to Moses and apply it to our lives. I want to close this morning, James chapter 3 and verse 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life. Do good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Our gracious God, Lord, may we be men and women who do good works that come from wisdom. May we be men and women who are, are learning of you, who are, are honest and God-fearing and who are applying that in each and every area of our life. God, may the person we are at home be the person we are at church and at work and in other social situations. Help us to be capable, honest, God-fearing men and women, Lord. God, I just pray a blessing upon the fathers that are here and represented today. Lord, bless them as they seek to raise their children and lead their families. God, help us to learn from your word and to take it and apply it to our lives even this week. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.